Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of our Unhappy Not Ill podcast. Hi. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back and thank you for joining us on the episode that is going to be going into the depth of um, Vanessa's mental illness. Now, this is when things are going to start getting meaty and interesting because in the previous four episodes, we, I guess, build the building blocks yeah. of Vanessa's earlier life um, and how kind of things progressed up until like your mid 20s um, but yeah we're not we're kind of going to stop going chronologically now and really dwell into the, the I think the biggest reason why we're doing this podcast really which is giving you guys an insight into someone who suffered with depression their whole life and ended up in the way that Vanessa is today um that sounds and, ominous. And I think... <laughs> Not sure anybody really wants to end up the way I have today, but there you go. Oh, I think you would disagree, but people don't know about that yet. So we'll see what they think. Um, but but really, this is about giving you guys a, you, that unique opportunity to listen um, and, and get an insight into someone's life with depression. Um, who isn't famous? famous. Who isn't special in any way um, and, um, and who had everything really yeah and who had lots of reasons why she shouldn't have had depression or why society thinks she shouldn't have had depression so yeah let's let's really focus on the mental illness element um, of the journey today now Vanessa talk us through signs that looking back today you saw or didn't see that were going on in your life around mental illness so so this is a this is a probably a difficult episode for me because as esty will uh, vouch i gloss over my life very much and 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 listen it's not that i am special and don't know it i'm not special in any capacity i'm just an ordinary person who had a fairly better than ordinary life in that i had I have a great family um, and I've always had lots of love and opportunity. Um, but, you know, to build on what Esty's just said, and I've been quite quiet at the start of this, and that's because this is quite a difficult episode for me. I think what I wanted to do, what I wanted to bring in this episode is just a reflection on when I started to suffer mentally in my health um, and how that might have been flagged up in my life and how I dealt with it or in most cases didn't deal with it other than pick up the edge of the carpet and sweep it all under there. Or, or how you dealt with it and how you could have potentially dealt with it better looking yeah, back. Yeah, but yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, definitely I recognise that we're in a much better place in the totally. world now, yeah. um, but we're still not where we need to be. Um, but I think fundamentally what I want people to understand at the end of this um, episode is that there are lots of things that probably come up in everybody's life because I don't have a special reason for being depressed. And perhaps maybe the way we deal with it in that moment will be the difference between having a mental health issue or in my case, um, becoming mentally ill um, with what was fundamentally perhaps an issue that if I'd have taken it in the right way, it could have prevented 
some much more serious damage. And and I think be a bit kinder to yourself, Nettie. <laughs> you know, this wasn't all down to you and no one is should feel like it is all for themselves to have fixed or to fix. No, but I do think that for me and and this is my story and this is I, I'm not a doctor and I'm not medical expert. I can only give the benefit of what I've learned on my journey. But for me, probably a lot of the problems were about how society um, designs us as individuals to show up in life. So there is an overwhelming um, design for people who exist in society. Um, And for me, back in the 1980s, that would have been, you know, being, you know, being good at school, getting a good career, probably getting married, preferably to a man at that time, having children um, and, you know, being that quintessential uh, family, wife, mother, career woman of some description. So that was how we were being nurtured, if you like, in our educational exposure. Almost definitely still are. Yeah, I think it's better now. I definitely think there, because of the development of internet, social media, um, I definitely think there's lots of things out there that allow people to think differently. But it was really hard to think differently back in the 1980s because your you were your exposure was at that time down to about four or five TV channels. You had a landline um, in your house, uh, which you know there was a queue to use. Um, and you you just didn't have the information overload that we have now. Yeah. Uh, you certainly didn't have podcasts and you definitely, you know, didn't have newspapers to the level that you do now. So you talk about the problems that you faced and had. Talk to me about those problems and, and how, how you saw ma- mental illness manifest in yourself. Okay, so I would say that it started off with mental health. So I understand very clearly that there is a distinction between mental health and mental illness. We what is talk it? so the distinction between mental health is the same as physical health. We effectively have to maintain at the health of our mind at all times. And just because you get a blip doesn't mean you're mentally ill. It's exactly the same, you know, it's it's like um, you know, if you go for a run and you maybe pull a muscle, it doesn't mean you've got a physiological problem. It means that your body's telling you either warm up better, warm down better, or in my case, don't run because it's bloody awful. Um, but, you know, it, you get a sign and we read those signs, don't we? And we might yeah. go and take a Nurofen or we might just decide not to run the next day. But with mental health, I don't think people do read those signs because I think those signs, first of all, differ. And secondly, there are expectations in society about how we should be mentally and how we should show up visibly in this society which means that regardless of what your health mental health is telling you you ignore it and put on this face yeah totally um so for me mental health signs are you know maybe like things for example you don't enjoy things um you might find things particularly uncomfortable you might find things upsetting. You might be bored. Stressful. Um, you might find things stressful. You might be anxious about doing things. Um, and in isolation, those things probably are survivable. But it's when they start to become overwhelming. And I think if you just ignore those signs 
or you notice that they're getting more and more, but you do nothing about it, it, I think that's when you move into being mentally ill or can move into being mentally ill. Now, I am not talking about however many different classifications there are of mental illness in the psychiatric world. I'm talking very specifically here about depression. So um, for me, mental health, my mental health and my lack of uh, mental health safeguarding led to um, clinical depression. Um, And that was after, I don't know, however many different diagnoses, but fundamentally I had clinical depression. Yeah. I think, thanks for that, Vanessa. I think that was so insightful and actually a really nice way to get into the meaty bits that we discussed at the earlier, uh, early bit of this um, episode. So let's break it down. Let's make this easy for you, okay? Because I know it's it's difficult and we need to try and get as much out for our listeners that we can. Let's start with mental health. What were your signs of mental health? Hmm. Good question. There, I, I guess, anxiety, stress in that, I got um, very nervous about things, but I didn't show it. So, for example, um, I think back earlier in the episodes, I know I talked about when I was nine and I changed schools and I was bullied by the teacher. Yeah, totally. Um, So the signs for me there was um, that obviously I was ashamed. I was ridiculed in front of 31 of my um, schoolmates because I was in a class of 32, big class I know but it was split into two sets or, you know, two groups. But literally I used to get publicly humiliated and that used to cause me to have, I had physical um, ramifications. Yeah. So for me, that was in that year that that happened, I ended up with having my appendix out because I was clearly having stomach problems. God, that's a sign, isn't it? Yeah. Now, when they pulled my appendix out, it was slightly inflamed, but I don't think I had appendicitis, but... Back in those days, they didn't draw the connections between stress and anxiety and they they certainly weren't interested in what was happening in my life or at least they certainly didn't probe. And and sorry, and I'm just going to jump in there. It's interesting, isn't it, because you're talking about stress and anxiety and there's got to be nothing relaxing about going into an operation. It just increases the stress and anxiety that is put on the body by having that procedure done. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, it's mounting up quite quickly, even just in this one year. Yeah, so I was nine and I was obviously having upset stomachs, like pain in my stomachs, basically. Yeah, cramps. stomach cramps. So yeah. mum, dad took me to the doctor. Long and short, I ended up in hospital having surgery. I then had flu. And then I had chicken pox. And, and when I had chicken pox, I had the worst chicken pox that <laughs> anyone has ever had. I think my big brother had one spot. I had, I had about, one spot. <laughs> yeah, I, I had about a million spots on each part of my body. Oh, I mean, it was awful. And my mum was at the same time, I remember this really clearly, um, she was in hospital um, nearly losing my, my little brother. So my little brother, I think, was a twin. Um, and she lost one of the embryos. So she was in hospital on bed rest. So this was, in, you know, increasing my stress. So all of this happened the same time. And I remember it really, really vividly. In terms of my mental health, how did it show up? It showed up in not wanting to go to school. Um, I was, you know, very unhappy. But, you know, they're more subtle. You know, children yeah. often don't want to go yeah, to school, don't they? they? And, you know, and, and, I, and I was being bullied. So it was probably also the case that you know when somebody's 
picking on you? How do you know that that's stress? It's, it, it is a reaction to somebody being horrible, but that is in itself stress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Talk to me about your mental health signs when you were an adult. Well, I think going into my teenage years, the signs were that I would go into very dark mood. So um, I would withdraw. Um, so I was generally fairly extroverted, but I would withdraw from people. Um, I would get quite angry. Um, I would get very frustrated. Um, but the thing that I noticed most was I, I would have these black moods as I would describe them, but they weren't permanent. They were just um, occasional. Okay. Um, but I was still driving myself through studying and getting the exams that I needed to get. Um, but one of the other manifestations as I got older is I just didn't fit in with um, everybody around me. And you, the reason that I didn't fit in, I think, is because I was underlyingly very unhappy. You know, I was choosing to follow a path that I thought I should follow. Um, but the way that manifested in me is I didn't quite make the connections I think I would have done if I'd have been doing something that I really wanted to do. So absolutely, I showed up and I was doing well superficially, but inside of me, how it showed up is my concentration started to falter. Um, I struggled to apply myself consistently. Um, and I just was not a people person. I hated crowds. That was a really big sign for me. Um, I was, I, I really hated being around lots of people. And as I became older, so when I got into my sort of 20s and that coincided with coming out as well, um, I withdrew quite forcefully from my family. So I didn't fall out with them, but I just couldn't spend time with them in, in, in groups. Um, so they, those were little signs uh, that happened to me. I, and you can see why they're difficult to spot as signs because they're behavioural signs, aren't they? Um, and maybe that just meant I didn't like my family. Yeah. Um, but now when I reflect, they were signs of absolute chronic unhappiness. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you've kind of tackled it in terms of situational and societal pressures, like meeting up in groups and spending time with your whole family together and kind of seeing that as a, as a sign. I'm just going to step into kind of my life for a second because you know rightly or wrongly I do thank my mum for this but when I was ill like when I had a cold my mum's advice was go to sleep wrap your neck in a in a in a scarf <laughs> lie down in bed and sleep through it mm. and if you don't feel better in three days that's fine just sleep through it just just wake get back up from bed when you feel better yeah I think the point we're trying to make is that is against, I guess, what society recommends, isn't it? Society recommends, ooh, take a sleeping take a tablet, tablet, take yeah. a cold tablet, take a neurofen to cut a paracetamol so that you don't have to stop for three days and sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, that's right. I think when I look back on, you know, you say to me, what are the signs? It's yeah. actually really hard to, to work them out because in reality, I suppose what I was starting to see from a young age is that I was doing things and they weren't making me happy. I didn't know that in the moment, okay? But things like physical illnesses, I was very, very clingy with my parents, like really clingy. And 
they'll joke about that and go, oh, you know, you were a real mummy's girl. I was a mummy's girl. I still am a mummy's girl. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they'll joke about it. And it, it isn't a joke, though, because it, it, it isn't normal um, to be like that. So you can love your parents. Absolutely. I do. However, I think I I wasn't, I was being what I needed to be in terms of education, career, career steps, yeah. but it's not what I wanted to be. And that then manifested in, I was very clingy to my parents because perhaps that was the only space I felt Comfort. a little bit more safe and secure. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't actually face into that because it felt like weakness. So going back to what you said about your mum and, and her strategies, I absolutely know that I do not remember at any point in my adult, my teenage years or my adult years, feeling that it was okay to slow down or change the pace or even decide to change the strategy I was um, progressing because that would be deemed failing. And that wasn't just about parents. Um, Absolutely not. I mean, my parents and neither of them were... um, educated or academic so they were really happy that we were taking those paths but they definitely weren't pushy in that respect but where they were more pushy and I guess it's a condition of the way they've been brought up is what they felt success and good look like and for them um, that was you know achieving those societal milestones and being more normal in um, uh, in italics um, so I didn't feel that I could say, I don't want to do it or I don't like this or, and whoever's fault that is, is irrelevant. The point is totally. I didn't feel it and and me not being able to say that and I was never shy. So it's not that we're talking about somebody that was shy um, is quite compelling really because if I didn't feel I could step off the treadmill of society, then what was I doing? I was looking for quick fixes to dust away that unhappiness, to to push on through the pain. Um, dust away that mental health yeah, and, unbalance and, that you had. And, and also, you know, I didn't know who I was. So how can you know what you want to do when you don't know who you are? Yeah, And that, I think, is the fundamental problem with mental illness. A lot of people become mentally ill because they are living somebody else's vision. And if those two things don't marry, so if what you are and the vision you're living don't marry, you become so unhappy. And if you're so unhappy, you become ill, sometimes physically, but increasingly mentally. Like there is no question. Everything I watch, everything I read, everything I study, because you know I'm a a sort of a sponge when it comes to well-being and mental well-being and physical well-being, it all points to the fact that severe unhappiness slash trauma makes you unwell. Now, there were traumas that happened to me in my childhood. We touched upon it in when we were building the context, and that was, you know, I had little brother and sister. Now, I absolutely adore them, but their arrival into my life was a trauma, Um And then, uh, you know, that kind of played out, didn't it? That was the year that I started to become really physically ill. So that was the year everything happened to me, was the year my mum was um, pregnant with my little brother. So I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that that was a very big sign. 
Yeah. A sign that they wouldn't know and a sign that I definitely didn't know. But looking back now, I think, oh my God, it, they, they were the signs. Yeah. Let's move into the space of mental illness now. How did that show up for you? So it started off with a diagnosis and, and look, guys, you're going to have to forgive my memory on this because the brain has an amazing capacity to help you forget what is traumatic. Um, and on top of that, I did um, in my early 30s have ECT, which for those of you that hopefully don't know what it is, is electroconvulsive therapy. So I don't have an exact chronology, but in and around about the time I was doing my A-levels, I started to um, see a doctor and I think then they were they were playing around with ideas of low mood depression. Um, yeah. But fundamentally, in my early 20s, I um, had a number of diagnoses, uh, which I think we go th- we'll go to in another episode, but um, to give you the headlines, I was diagnosed with depression. I was diagnosed with um, severe recurring depression with personality disorder. I was diagnosed with bipolar um bipolar 2 which is different to bipolar 1 gosh i didn't even know that yeah so bipolar 1 is well if you if you listen to what they say and i you know i don't generally as we know it's much more um in you so it's like a sort of uh, something you can't really control whereas i think bipolar 2 is 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 a slightly less severe right okay. a version of bipolar 1 um then i was diagnosed with um SAD, seasonal affective disorder. Uh, but that, that came like much later in my life. Yeah. And then I diagnosed myself with just being very fucking unhappy. Um, and my deep-rooted unhappiness and my body's and mind's unwillingness to accept me living a life that wasn't really the life I wanted to live. So that was my ultimate diagnosis that I gave myself, which is, you know what, Vanessa, you were just living a life that you weren't supposed to be living. And by the way, it wasn't a bad life. It's just it wasn't good for me. Um, But yeah, fundamentally, if you were to go and have a visit in my medical records, if you've got a few years to lose, then what you would walk away thinking is I was somebody that suffered with now clinical depression. And what happened with those diagnoses? I mean, bloody hell, that's a list. But how did that manifest in what you define as mental illness? Well, they are all mental illnesses. So basically, mental health issues are, you know, maybe we don't sleep or maybe we get a bit anxious or maybe we're just not, um, you know, getting enough exercise. They, they can then lead to mental health issues. But all of those diagnoses are mental illnesses. So as all of my mental health issues became more and more prolific, then it became a mental illness, as in I manifested for long periods of time as somebody who was ill. Um, So, you know, I was working um, pretty much all around this. I did have periods of time out and I, you know, from from time to time, I'd take maybe two to six weeks off um, in in my 20s. But fundamentally the difference between having a mental health issue and a mental illness is, is um, I guess, perception in society, isn't it? Sorry, I'm just sitting here going, you've just rattled off this massive list of, I guess, diagnoses. 
which feels were all wrong, like, by the way, just for, well, for, the, for well, this kind of was, listening. I haven't got any of those things. This is just the medical profession's way. I think of there's an element of point. like you having been a human guinea pig. Because how can you have so many diagnoses in a life? I mean, you're not like 150. <laughs> so how did that make you feel? I mean, you must have been confused. Well, at the time I was, um, at the time I was um, on medication, which creates its own um, problems. But yeah, I guess, I think at the time, because my behaviours and the way I was feeling, you know, I was feeling very, very depressed. Uh, I had suicidal thoughts for most of my, I guess, starting in my 20s. So probably from my 20s to my mid-30s, yeah. my attitude on life was, when do I get out of it? So I woke up every day wanting to be dead, not wanting to be alive. Yeah, and you didn't even pay into a pension or anything like that, did no, you? No, and I didn't. And I, and I didn't set my life up to live for a long period. So I had a good life, um, but I didn't do pensions because I was like, well, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be here to draw a pension, not if I've got anything to do with it. Um, but, you know, I just want to mention this point. There will be so many people out there who were like me at that time, which is I didn't understand why anybody wanted to live. I didn't understand it. I resented being around that positivity because I just thought, well, Life is just shit. That's how I felt every day. And it was absolutely life-changing for me to get to my mid-30s and realise that I didn't want to die every day. And now in my late 40s, I am doing everything I can to make sure I live for as long as I can. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a huge shift. So, so I think there's really like a message of hope here because, you know my God, you were in a dark place if that's how you woke up every morning. But more importantly, you have managed to get out of it. Now, we're going to talk about the getting out of it in, in a few episodes moving forward. But what did you do about, like, what... what I took tablets. You took tablets, you went to work, you did very yeah, well Yeah, I went work. to work. So, I mean, basically, when you feel like that... So what you've got to remember is, I don't remember the time that I started wanting to die every day but it was the majority it was a good sort of 15 20 years of my life big chunk okay so 15 years let's call it that so when you feel like that every day it you don't realize what it feels like not to feel like that so it, it was just my normal the way of being yeah yeah so getting through the day going to work still you know, I would have moments where I would be distracted. So my life, my career distracted me from that feeling. But every morning when I was with myself at home and I lived on my own um, in my 20s. So, you know, I, I, I will talk about relationships in another episode, but relationships were not um, that good for me. So they would be a distraction. And I'm not saying I didn't fall in love and do all the things that you do, but I lived on my own. So every day I was with myself at the beginning, at the end of the day, and that would be how I felt. But then you just get on with life. And that's where I guess a career is helpful because it gave me the reason to get out of bed. And actually it's, it's where the whole life's shoulds and their expectations probably did keep me alive in some capacity because without it, I probably wouldn't be here. Okay. So, I mean, gosh, it, it just sounds like 
there was just this dark cloud over you for such a big part of your life. Yeah, that's a good, how, good analogy. <laughs> how bad did it get for you? So I was in hospital. Um, I was admitted to hospital. Again, please remember my memory isn't um, perfect uh, on it. However, probably half a dozen times. So in, in the years of my early 20s, into my mid-30s, I probably went into psychiatric hospital half a dozen times. A couple of times I had 24-hour sections, which is when the doctors exercise their powers to um, put you effectively in prison in hospital, but not big sectioning, not in like six-month section, just immediate sectioning. Um, and, you know, uh, twice I tried to take my own life. Um, and in my early 30s, due to some treatment that I shouldn't have been on, and that's probably an episode in itself, um, I had to, I was so bad. I was what they called um, catatonic. So I could, I couldn't even get out of bed that I was given ECT. And, and that was something that I, my parents had to pay for privately because the wait list was so long in the NHS. Um, and I know what it is, but I'm just going to ask this question for the audience. And I freaking hate this part of the podcast, but what is ECT? So, so what do they do? Well, what they do. So in my case, I had 12 sessions. So I went twice a week for six weeks. You are effectively put into a chair. They give you a general anesthetic and then they, it's almost twice a week, general twice anesthetic. a week. Yeah. Just, it's, it's only for seconds though, but you're in a chair and they strap you in. Um, and it's very humane now, but long and short of it is they kind of run electricity through your body. Yeah. So they do that and then they bring you around and then you go back into the hospital How as I did. How did it get to this, Vanessa? Like, you're sitting here today, the sun's shining, I can see through the window. Like, what the hell? Well, the thing is, it got to that because I was so unhappy and still living quite a pressured life, really. Um and I was on medication and medication bring their own challenges. Yeah. I was diagnosed. They were, you know, having different diagnoses. I mean, who knows how it gets to that? But I guess the answer is more that um, why didn't I get out of it soon? The question is more why didn't I get out of it sooner, not how did it get to that? Um, and, you know, I think it's just about understanding, understanding what the root cause was and the root cause for me wasn't a mental illness that was the problem so no tablet no diagnosis was going to get me better what a diagnosis really? did was it gave me and my family around me something to go oh well that's the problem because that that was what people look for isn't it if somebody is not yeah. showing up the way they expect them to they want to know why and it always helps when there's a label so, yeah. and the tablets, well, for me, what they did is they gave me the solution to fix it beyond me fixing it my, myself. I think this is a really nice uh, place to just, just pause for this episode because actually, um, teaser, the next episode is all about medication. Um, I think, I know, I don't think, I know this has played a massive role in Vanessa's life and the way you've coped with things, but clearly also with what treatments you were given to counteract the medication. So um, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting episode um, to follow up with. Now, 
you guys know I like an action that you guys can take away today um, and and do do or don't do in your own time. But I think there's two things that I've, I've kind of summarized from what Vanessa shared today, and it's listen to those signs, okay? So like if you are ill six times a year or if you constantly have a reoccurring niggle in your body, you recurrently suffer with anxiety or stress, there will be a reason for that. And that reason hasn't got to do with you as a person, but it's got to do with your environment. So yeah, have it's a situation. Think, it's your situation. Have a think. What in your environment is making you feel like that? And it might be that when you come back from work, the first thing you do is sit down and have a cup of tea to kind of like stop that cycle from work. I don't know what it is, but listen to those signs. And I think, Vanessa, you talked about your vision and... I guess, your view of what your life should be. Yeah. Um, and you almost indicated that your vision of life wasn't what you were living. It wasn't my design. Yeah, it wasn't your design. So get a notepad out and write down, who are you? What do you want to be? Who do you want to be? How do you want to show up in this world? And stick to that because your vision is the one that you're going to be living through and it's the one that you want to live through. So I think it's, you know, you mentioned the vision, Vanessa, and I think that's a really good takeaway for our listeners today. Um, we're looking forward to the next episode, and hopefully you are too. In the meantime, please engage with us, share everything you've heard, either through Instagram or by following and sharing this podcast. Um, the more people that we can get this really powerful message out to, the better for everyone. See you guys on the other side. Bye. Bye. Bye.